Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Shred's Takes. I'm your host, Michael Shredder, and it's great to be back on this Friday. It's a beautiful day. It's 9.46 a.m., and I'm just excited to talk about some more sports topics that you guys are obviously very interested in. You know, I appreciate the support on my Instagram platform as I've been posting content there from either these podcasts or just daily stuff during the week to give you guys previews of what I'm going to talk about on my podcast. You know, this is a very important platform to me, and I hope you guys definitely take a chance to listen to more of the podcast episodes. There's seven so far. If you haven't got a chance to look at those, go on Anchor. I'm moving over to Apple Podcasts soon, so hopefully more people will be able to view the podcast episodes that I post. So getting into it, I think right away is, as I previewed on Wednesday, for those who followed me on Instagram, I was going to talk about in this podcast the importance of the conversations of comparing Kobe, LeBron, and MJ. And I think Jay Williams brought up a great point about the leadership styles. What I talked about a lot, and what I'm going to talk about more today, is the fact that, you know, you have MJ, Kobe, and LeBron, and you debate about who's the greatest between those three, because as I said before, it's applicable to our generation and the people that we inspire to be our MJ LeBron and Kobe as basketball players. Those are guys we really understand well and everything like that. We don't really relate as well to guys like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Kareem, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, because we didn't really watch a lot of those guys in their time as playing basketball or anything like that. So in my mind also, when we have these debates, you have to understand that when you're looking at the totality, you have to really narrow down and look at every statistical category and then how many championships they won to to determine who the best player is. But if you really are a knowledgeable basketball person, I believe that Michael Jordan is the obvious answer for the greatest of all time. There are people who debate LeBron's the most complete player, which I, I actually do agree with. But LeBron's three and six in the finals, and Jordan has averaged more points in his career he is a better defender, made you know, way more first-team all-defenses. He's won way more scoring titles. He's won more championships, obviously. And, you know, that's essentially where it comes down to for me because Kobe is an unbelievable player, too. He's made a lot of defensive teams as well. But he won three championships with Shaq as his number two option, which I can't put him above even a guy like LeBron for that reason. You know, Kobe is – in my opinion, a top seven player all time. I have him seven on my list, possibly six, you know, depending on the day. Um, but I think that you look at those guys essentially, and I have LeBron at four, I have Jordan at one, and I have Kobe at six or seven, depending on where you want to rank Will at. I think the important part of that conversation though is what you can take away from each player and how you can instill into your life and if you're an athlete too, your game in a sense. So with Michael Jordan, as I mentioned before, he had that assassin's level mentality to want to win everything. And he would win by all costs. And sometimes he wouldn't make 
Actually, a lot of times he wouldn't really make a lot of friends, but he was willing to go to the extreme to allow himself to be held to that high standard where he could win a lot of games, regardless of the outcome of it for like his teammates. I mean, and it worked. He won six championships and, you know, you watch the documentary for those who probably have watched the documentary. It's been, you know, 13 million people who've watched it per week. There is an obvious takeaway from that in the sense that if you want to have the mindset of Jordan, you've got to make sure that you're holding everyone to the same standard that you hold yourself to and that you're working harder than everyone else to get to that standard. If you have a really high goal of, you know, getting an IPO for a job, you know, working in this different field and becoming a CEO one day, or as an athlete, you're trying to become professional, or as a division three athlete, you're trying to be the best player on your team, the captain and win a national championship. It all comes down to with the, if you have a Jordan, if you want to take the Jordan mentality with you is the leadership style is more that I'm going to be hard on you all day long. And I'm never going to give up until we achieve our standard. And I'm probably not going to be very approachable and not have a lot of confrontation but you're going to win games because I am a good player and I hold everyone to a high standard in order to win. With Kobe, as I've mentioned, Kobe was a guy that if you want to really understand what Kobe is about, it's a guy that had that similar kind of mentality, but he was always about absorbing new information. That's always how he got better because he would always pick brains of the great guys around him, like Jerry West, Akeem Olajuwon, Jordan, Bill Russell, Magic, Bird, you know, any guys that he could really just gather that information to make himself a better player. That's what he did. And for our generation, too, we're always looking for ways to get better in our jobs, in our life, in terms of social relationships, in terms of, you know, if you're an athlete, how you get to become a better athlete. If you're not a non-athlete, how you're going to be, you know, better equipped to get a better job to do well at a high academic institution or wherever institution you go to. So when you take Kobe's mentality, you want to take a fact that you're going to be hard on people, but you're going to learn everything and, you know, treat yourself to learn from the best people around you. So that means maybe me reading more books, doing more studies online, you know, talking to more people that you think are highly qualified in their fields. And that's going to help anyone get better because that's what made Kobe so great is that he really was willing to absorb new information every day and then go wake up at 3 a.m. to work on that stuff that he's learned and try to master it. Was he better than a guy like Jordan? No. And arguably, in my opinion, he's not better than LeBron James. But Kobe was a guy that I really admired for the fact that he just absorbed new information each and every day. And that's really, I think, the critical piece that people forget when they make these debates is how each player got to where they are. Kobe was a highly talented high school recruit, came out, didn't really play great to start out, but then he started to absorb that new information, became an all-star in 1998, I believe. And he just he just took off. You know, he became that player that people wanted to play, not necessarily play with, but he became a player that was a winner because he absorbed that information, which is essential. With LeBron, it, and everyone, I think, gives LeBron a bad rap. Uh, you see guys like Skip Bayless on TV, and they literally will criticize every bad moment this man has had in his life in terms of basketball. And they don't really do that with other players because LeBron was a guy who came out of high school with so much scrutiny and expectations. And 
with that being said, I think that the things you can learn from LeBron James is you have to be all around in everything that you do, I think, to be successful. That's not necessarily applicable for everyone. But I'm saying if you want to use LeBron James mentality and what he does, it's all about being having multiple skills to yourself, having multiple things that you can go to, having on the basketball court a versatility that you can pass, you can shoot, you can rebound, you can defend, you can score in the low post, you can score going to the basket. That's kind of what he is because he has the ability to do a lot of things based on the fact that he's just a, such a unique athlete and a unique talent. And he's also very smart, though. He understands where he needs to be successful and what the team needs from him to be successful. Sometimes that's becoming, it has him becoming a little bit passive at the end of games. That's what some people claim. I don't think he's, I think he always makes the right basketball play. I don't, besides the Dallas Mavericks series, I don't really criticize him too much because I think that he's really progressed in clutch moments over his career. And I think that's because the fact that he knows what he needed to do for the team and what he needed to be as a player. If you want to take that mentality, it's about knowing what the people around you need to be successful, having a variety of skills so that you can apply those skills to the people that you meet, and also being there for your community. I mean, people, if you're talking about who the, between the three who's been the best off the court, it's clearly LeBron James, without question. Jordan's done great things for his brand. Kobe's done good things for Nike. LeBron built a school in Akron. He's funded money for Akron. He's helped social injustice issues be talked about within the African-American community. And I think that that's so monumental because you don't see as many athletes in the NBA doing what he's doing in terms of platforming himself to really be a voice for the African-American community, but also I think just the NBA community and people in general that don't agree with the social injustices that have been going on in our society. And I think that's something, if you really want to take on someone like him, you got to be willing to fight for what you believe in, but also have, the, again, those variety of skills that allow you to be someone that people can trust because you have multiple things you can go to. And I think that's always very important. Speaking on LeBron James, I think uh, anybody who watches ESPN just saw the idiot take by Paul Pierce in the sense that he thinks that LeBron James is not a top five player of all time. Again, I think the GOAT debates are kind of ridiculous because I think that that doesn't make everyone appreciate how great these players actually are. I think they just say, oh, well, you know, you have LeBron at four. You clearly don't think he's very good because people just, you know, listen to Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith, who obviously know a lot in their field, but they're you know, their role is to fire people up, to bring entertainment, right? So sometimes they're going to say controversial takes or things like that. Or Paul Pierce is the same way, to make people get riled up. But Paul Pierce is just definitely more personal because the fact that he and LeBron have had so many battles over the years and they never like each other, I don't think he's ready to give him props. He probably didn't like the fact they lost him a lot when he was with the Heat and even the Cavs when he was still there. But because he was like, I got LeBron early in my career. But LeBron's teams in Cleveland, let's be honest, were piss poor at best. And I agree that LeBron's teams in Miami should have probably done better than they did. They should have won at least three championships. I think everyone can agree with that. But not having him in your top five is, a little, in my opinion, a little ridiculous because what he's done for the game in terms of being such a complete player, his chapter's not over yet either. If he wins another championship, he's definitely top four, top three, in my opinion. If he wins another championship, if he wins two, maybe the second best player of all time. So 
you can literally have a debate. If, but the problem is, you know, the three and six files record is something that is going to be held against him for a while. And that's going to be held against by guys like Skip Bayless and everything like that. Because the reason I use Skip Bayless as an example is because he's, despite what you guys think of him in terms of maybe the takes he says, he is a, a very respected journalist. He has done a lot of good work before he became a talk show host. If you read a lot of his articles early in his career, he actually had a lot of great knowledge and still does, but he, he takes the point against LeBron because I think there's something of vendetta within him where he's getting maybe paid to do it. But you look at a guy like that, and he basically you know, makes the fact that LeBron has had those finals saying, he's, oh, he's not clutch, he's not good enough. And he doesn't necessarily look at what LeBron has done in those series or what LeBron has done for his team. He looks at maybe one little moment, and he, and he points out his facts specifically to get to where LeBron has not been successful. And he doesn't do that with other players who've crumbled like LeBron has. Even worse so, because LeBron's big crumble was in 2011 against the Dallas Mavericks, right? No one's disagreeing with that. He, you know, there's many of the two the Dallas Mavericks did a great job, but that's kind of where I think a lot of the criticism comes from. And I can't disagree with that criticism. That may look, that whenever he uses facts, he always brings up 2011. And you see, like, Shan Sharp's the biggest LeBron fan. He thinks of the GOAT, which I think is a little outlandish. But he does make good points in the sense that, like, Skip does go after LeBron more than other athletes do and other critics, to be honest. And I think when you're looking at these players in general and looking at LeBron, read up on these things, watch them themselves, and make your own decisions. Don't let these media guys force-feed their own opinions into you because that's not like going to get you a great point. LeBron, for me, is the fourth best player of all time because I've read up on what Magic's done. I've read up on Kareem's done and Michael. And I just believe, I personally believe, because LeBron's chapter's not over yet, that those guys are cemented in their legacy, and I believe they're better. Magic won five championships. Magic beat Bird, which is a big accomplishment because I think Bird was – Bird is really, really good. You know, I have him – him and Kobe are kind of tussling for that 6-7 spot, right? Because in my opinion, you know, you can – Bird was one of the more clutch players you'll ever see play basketball, right? And that's just the important – that's the importance to bring to this conversation is that like who, who they beat, right? LeBron beat the Warriors. He beat the Warriors. He beat the Spurs. He beat the Thunder, right? Those are great wins. But he also lost to the Dallas Mavericks. He got swept twice. Grant, his team in 2018 had no chance to win the finals, and neither did they in 20, 2007. So I don't hold those against him. Dallas Mavericks, were they a more talented team than the Miami Heat? No. So right now, since he's only won three championships, and I don't think his career is over yet, I don't believe he's done enough to eclipse Magic, Kareem, and Michael yet. He has done more to eclipse, I think, a guy like Bill Russell, because Bill Russell won a lot of championships, but he wasn't necessarily the guy that was dominating in terms of scoring. He was a great rebounder, a great defender, probably one of the best all-time in those categories. But he didn't really play against the greatest competition that LeBron and those other guys, I think, have had to play against. And I think that's really the critical piece to take out of this is like when you're looking at these things, you got to make sure when you're doing these debates that you don't just care about the rankings. You care about what these players have also done off the court. What kind of things can they leave for you as a person to learn from? And I think they, for example, I learn a lot from watching LeBron James because my personality more, more likely morphs to what he does. And, but there are people that, you know, you, you're going to have to, you know, relate to as an athlete and growing up. And I think that's always in a critical piece. And 
I think that you know you have to you know be willing to get your own facts too. Another thing I want to talk about too, which I think was interesting, is you know there's been so much talk about what you can do during quarantine to better yourself, and I think that a lot of times people, you know, don't take that into account. This is obviously a really crazy time for all of us. Still, things are closed in New Jersey for me, and a lot of other states as well. It's a crazy time for sure. You know, you still or social distancing, whatever. But the things that I have found that can really be helpful for athletes is, you know, taking up activities that you actually are interested in doing. So if you don't read enough, read books, because that could really help you become a guy like Kobe and absorb more knowledge. And I think also another thing you can do is, for me at least, I learned to cook a lot more. I think having those variety of skills can also help you as an athlete because you have different things you are good at. And that helps you in the basketball court because, or in the football field or lacrosse field or baseball diamond or whatever, because if you have a lot of things you're doing during this time to improve your mind, improve yourself, then that really will help you get to the level that you want to get to. And that was just a short snippet I want to give on that. But I think another important point based on all of this is obviously people are talking about these new programs that have come out about recruiting for basketball. You know, DJ Sackman is a guy I know very well. I was training with him, and he's a very famous trainer within Instagram. I think he's got over like 360,000 followers. You know, he's, he's a well-known trainer. He's trained a lot of NBA guys, really knowledgeable about the game. And he's made these platform with Hoop Group, which is a organization in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, but they are a yeah, pretty East Coast worldwide known network. And they're doing it to recruit a lot of different players within workouts, within understanding how to – what you should do for, they give you like, you know, a college basketball advice kind of situations. And I think those are all really, really cool. The issue I've always had with recruiting is I think AAU is not the most reflective of how good I think a player can be. I think AAU is great in the sense that it gets you exposure to college coaches, but I think it lacks a lot of skill development, which is why I think trainers have been needed more because I think the, a lot of the AAU coaches don't necessarily focus on skill development. They focus on getting a lot of great talent into one Area so they can, their teams can get showcased. At least from my experience, that's what I've seen. And I don't think AAU is necessarily the greatest thing for a lot of guys who are like on that tweener between a Division three, Division one. And I think that also you look at like AAU basketball, right? It's it's predominantly fast paced, not phenomenal defense at all. And then you get to college and you have to run all these different schemes. And it's a big adjustment for guys who have not really honed their skills to that point. You see a lot of really talented guys go to college. And they're averaging, you know, 18 points a game on the EYBL circuit. And they get to college and they're struggling a little bit to adapt to the system the coach wants them to do. So they're like, oh, I'll go to the G League. I'll do my own thing. But I think that college basketball is still critically important because it teaches a lot of guys who need structure, the sense of structure and skill development, right? And I think that's always what gets lost in these AAU teens because some of them do preach skill development, but a lot of them just say throw out the balls and play. And that's not necessarily getting a player better because – if you have weaknesses, the way you get better at your weaknesses, at least from what I've read, is you have to work on it by yourself for a long time because in, in games, old habits come back, right? And I think in AAU, that's a big problem because you have guys who have not really mastered their new skill. Let's say a guy isn't a very good ball handler, and then you're asking the game to go handle the ball. That's not necessarily what he's going to want to do because he's just going to revert back to his old habits and not succeed because he's reverting back to those old habits. And I think that's always an, a piece basically that people always forget when they think about AU basketball because AU basketball has 
allowed so many people to get to that college platform. And I'm not saying AAU needs to be banned. I'm saying there's needs just need to be more skill development in place with AAU because I think AAU, unfortunately, is getting a bad rap because it's taken away from the development of these guys and they, and they have to oh, go access all these trainers now because of the fact that they're not getting that skill development that, that I think is necessary to build better players. You know, you want your generation in, in the future to be a bunch of guys who are playing that perimeter-oriented basketball, right? You're going to have a lot of bigs now who are going to be stretching the floor. I mean, now you're going to be thinking about do we even need big guys really anymore because of the fact of in the future because of the fact that it's really perimeter-oriented. You, are you, is your team more successful going to be a 6'6 big guy now than as a 6'10 rim protector? That, that's that's an, honestly an interesting topic too, just in the sense of like, you know, small ball really the answer for NBA and everything like that. My answer is personally no. I think you can develop your bigs to be able to shoot the three and defend. You just got to be able to work with them. It's all about skill development, right? It's all about, you know, teaching the guys new skills in order to get them better. And I think that's always going to be a critical piece at the end of the day. The last thing I wanted to briefly talk about was a lot of baseball fans probably have not heard me talk much about baseball on this podcast. And I'm going to talk a lot about it today. As I saw, the Red Sox are planning on at least from what I heard from on ESPN, there's a lot of talk basically about them trying to resume the season soon. And the way they're going about the seriousness of the measures they need to take and what their plan is. So like, obviously there's the plan of the fact that they might go down to Arizona, do like a string, be in a spring training type facility, play the games down there and go from there. And I think that that's, a, that's great for baseball. If they're able to actually get a plan done soon, because I understand this virus is super serious and everything like that. Like that's not where I'm coming to this point, but if MLB like at any sports has the best chance of coming back just because it's limited contact, you're hitting a baseball. Right. And I think as long as you keep everything sterile and you practice proper safety measures with this virus, baseball hopefully can come back in the next month or so. I mean, I'm hoping it can, or at least for a lot of baseball fans, that's uh a thing that they probably are looking excited to do. They, you know, excited to watch, you know, for me, at least I'd be excited to watch the Yankees play a little bit and the Boston fans excited to watch the Red Sox and Houston Astros. Obviously we have to see what happens with them this year with that whole scandal going on. And I think that if they are able to get those safety measures in place and being able to progress in the sense that it'll allow the players to play safely and do it. It's the same thing with the NBA. The NBA is thinking about June 1st, having players come in and work out, right? I think the NBA needs to be a little bit more careful with that because it's a contact sport. It's very easy to transmit viruses in basketball as opposed to baseball. Baseball should be coming back before basketball is. That's just my opinion there because baseball, again, is just a lot safer for the virus to not be transmitted. And I hope it does because I know a bunch of guys I'm friends with at Amherst and they have a really big tie to baseball and it would be great for them to be able to watch their teams play. It would give, some, give something for the, the public also to watch. A lot of people who aren't into baseball give them a chance to watch baseball and get into baseball. As baseball is America's sport, it's a great sport to play, you know. And also it's great for a lot of international players from Southern America to come play too, as they're really good at baseball too. It gives everyone an incentive to want to watch sports again, which I think has been lost obviously because this time has kind of taken away everything that we enjoy through entertainment. I think if baseball is able to come back and if they're able to practice safety regulations, it'll be a lot more fun. And it'll also just be great to have another sport back and everything like that. So I think it's really interesting overall how this is went 
and progressed. So it's going to be really interesting. I think another thing too that I wanted to bring up as well is, you know, in the topic of basketball, obviously I know a lot about it from just playing basketball, but something that I thought was really interesting too is the fact of how NCA, I don't know if anyone saw this, but Division One teams are even thinking about doing workouts between June 1st and June 30th for their teams, bringing them back, having them go through workouts, see what happens there, and progressing the season based on that. I think that's interesting. I think that's interesting for Division One teams because I think that, you know, in the summertime, a lot of Division One teams need that time to prepare and get the workouts in and implement their structure more so than maybe other levels of college basketball, like Division Two, or Division Three, because you have a lot of guys who are coming in as, as wide-eye recruits who don't necessarily understand the system from AAU, unfortunately. And you've got a chance for like a lot. Division One is just based on the fact that they have those summer times. So they start a little bit earlier in terms of their practices. They don't have as much restrictions as some Division Three schools have in terms of their practices. So being able to have that maybe happen is interesting. But again, it all comes back to the fact of, are you practicing in proper safety measures? Is there going to be stuff in place to make sure these things don't happen in the future, et cetera? And I think that's always the critical piece is that when college basketball is able to come back, how are the other fall sports going to work? If they don't, let's say they don't have a fall semester, are they going to place the fall sports with the spring and winter sports? Like, how are they going to do that? Because if that's the way they're going to think about organizing it, that might be a disaster. So if th this plan I heard from right now, that might, that's going to be good for winter sports if, they, if Division I schools are doing that. And that means that people are hopefully progress will be made to helpfully address the fall sports issue and then allow winter sports to also be able to be played because at least as me as a basketball player, I want to be able to play next year, you know, and be able to practice with my guys and that kind of stuff. And I think all, everyone who's been playing basketball feels the exact same way, or even just football and soccer and field hockey. You can go down the list of fall sports too, volleyball they want to be able to play too. And they want to be able to be back and practicing too. So being able to understand the virus better. And I think you can't jump to conclusions yet about these sports without really understanding the safety measures and understanding where the virus is going to progress from here. Cause I think that's always a critical piece that people forget. And that's always going to be the important piece with all of this. Right. And I think that's something you guys just need to take away. So listen, I really appreciate you guys listening in. This was a little bit shorter of an episode. I'm going to talk about a lot more stuff on Sunday that I think will bring a little bit more controversy. Just keep posted on the Instagram. Obviously, I'm going to be moving to Apple Podcasts soon, so definitely keep posted for that because I think it will give people easier access to my platform. And look, you guys continually to you know, post questions on my Instagram. You can post questions um, via text if you have to my numbers, whatever, and I think as long as you guys just understand that this platform is about addressing issues that I think are important, maybe that others, people on ESPN aren't seeing as important, I think that you guys can definitely learn a lot from this platform. And also just, if you guys are interested in podcasts, you know, just do make your own podcast. This is a great time to address issues I think are happening within the world and within the sports world and everything like that. And I think it's great to talk about it with fans and, and interact with fans about this. So again, keep posted on Shreds podcast on Instagram for more content coming out. I really appreciate you guys listening in and I wish and wish you guys continued good health and I hope you guys enjoy this Friday. It's a beautiful day. I hope you guys really enjoy it and I'll see you guys on Sunday.